0: This is George Soto with Soto Ventures. Hope all is well. Today I am with Rich Wong, who is a partner at Excel Partners down in Silicon Valley. Uh, Rich, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, George. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Thank you so much. And, you know, as I mentioned last time we were chatting, I'm always appreciative of everything you did for us at Mopub. And uh, I, I always like to go on record and say that you are probably, if not the most influential, you know what? Right there in the top uh, top five, I would say of folks who really helped us have a great outcome there uh, to Twitter. So thank you know thank you again.
1: Thanks, George. It was a pleasure to be part of. it.
0: Fantastic. Well, just Rich. You know, what's your professional background, and you know, how did you get into venture investing? Yeah, sure. You know,
1: I I, um, I guess I would really describe myself as uh, an accidental venture capitalist or accidental VC. Uh, you know, I spent the first you know, 15 years of my career prior to getting into VC uh, as an operator, so I worked in consumer products at Procter & Gamble, I worked in uh, broadband technology, I worked in uh, mobile companies uh, as a, a product marketing and head of products and CMO, uh, and then I essentially just wandered into the venture capital space. You know, uh, a number of firms, including Excel, were really interested in getting some perspective of someone that spent a lot of their time working around the mobile ecosystem. And I found myself getting excited and interested in more and more of these startup companies that the other VCs at the time were meeting. And it caused me to get intrigued or interested in the idea of working with you know, more than one company at a time and finding a way to contribute uh, to more than one company at a time. And that's kind of how I kind of wandered into the space about nine years ago.
0: That's awesome. Well, that's actually a good segue. How has like, venture investing changed since you got involved?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of things that have uh, stayed the same. There's a lot of things uh, that have, have changed as well. But I think the, the, the perhaps the most exciting or positive change is that, you know, we're really in a phase where there's a ton of awesome technology disruption happening all at the same time. And I think everybody who watches your show knows, you know, these – primary trends, desktop to mobile, going from the data center to the cloud, the ability to do social and viral distribution that wasn't really possible just a short time ago. And so the preconditions or the ingredients for what it takes to, to build a startup company have improved dramatically in the past uh, seven to eight years that you know, I've been in this ecosystem. You know, at the same time, um, uh, you know, a lot of things are still fundamentally the same in terms of the need and the opportunity to find the right product-thinking entrepreneur that, is uh, not just perhaps building their company on hype or on press or visibility, but really is thinking carefully about the sequence and steps that the product uh, that has to be built to get uh, market traction. And so I think that the, the fundamentals of building a great business haven't changed. It's just the preconditions are, are better than ever before.
0: You know, that's interesting. I, I remember when I landed here in Silicon Valley for the third time, you know, it was really sort of at this, moment in time where you know these incubators were starting to take off Y Combinator, AngelPad, you know Thomas Corte and and uh, you know Mopa went through AngelPad of course as you know and and um you know it, it's it's really evolved even in the past 5 years and I've seen a lot of these early stage founders get money and they're great engineers but you know, from, in terms of building culture and building an organization, you know, there's certainly a learning curve there for, you know, based on what I've seen. What tips would you give an early stage founder when looking to raise VC?
1: Yeah, no, I think the, the good news, I think that a lot of the positive forces, uh, whether it's from the incubators or from the tech blogosphere, give good advice about, uh, and, and give, ladders to help people learn much more quickly than ever before. And by the way, that's why I think you see tech entrepreneurship really becoming a wave and a really positive trend, not just in Silicon Valley, but in the U.S. economy and frankly the global economy, which is obviously my view. I know we're all biased, but I think it's an awesome, awesome thing. Um, I think that as relates to your specific question about uh, looking for the right VC, I think, look, it's all about fit and having someone who can genuinely, genuinely add some value. And so I think it, it's all about reverse diligencing the people that uh, you are likely to work with. I, I I joke, I guess it's not really a joke, that you know, investments in a successful technology VC-backed company will last longer than many marriages. So you know, you're going to be working together for 7, 10, 12 years potentially. See, it's worth really getting to know the people on the other side of the table and deciding if you really can work together and like each other uh, because you're going to be like it or not. Working together for a very long period of time, it'll be a great relationship, or it may be only okay. And but you can make a decision about that if you do a little bit more homework. So, uh, diligencing your investors, I think, is one of the most important things that a, a founding, uh, a founder can think about when looking to raise VC.
0: You know, is there such thing as a bad space to launch a startup around or within? And and the context behind that question is. You know, I've I've been part of startups where, you know, the idea was great, but it ended up sort of turning out that the space wasn't actually that great. You know, not to say, you know, not to point out any particular spaces, but I, I was involved with gamification and then the early days of, you know, sort of this social publishing white labeled community world. Uh, i was with a, a startup called kick apps a couple years ago, about eight years ago or so and it turned out that that space was actually not that interesting and you had folks like like you know facebook and twitter start to uh, release the authentication layer with facebook connect and and you know um uh, you know all these sort of authentication layers and you know, back to my question is there a bad space and how do you start to be able to identify early days that this might not turn out to be a, a real industry?
1: So, so I, I think there's maybe two frameworks to think about that I often, you know, the fairly obvious frameworks is not uh, a ton of secret sauce. But I, I think the the first thing I, I spent a lot of time thinking about is, is it a feature, product, or platform, right? And so I think that's pretty much a statement of the obvious that there's a lot of ideas that you, know, you have to run through a little window or a niche category where the big folks have not yet figured out Uh, I've not put focus against it. I've not figured out how to innovate in that particular area. And if you run through that window, sometimes you can figure out a way to go from what is more features to the product and then you can find adjacent products to become a long-term sustainable company. And so a lot of companies start with a very specific vertical insertion and then turn themselves horizontal to become a platform over the course of time. So I think oftentimes when you look at investments in the venture capital space or even as a founder, you want to think about, can you see, at least hypothetically, what the steps are to go from feature product to platform slash sustainable company uh, over the long term. You know, the other thing, um, that the other framework I think that is uh, is worth uh, thinking about and, and trying to get uh, one's head around when one thinks about spaces is there are some companies that are great technology innovations and are really fascinating science experiments, but that doesn't mean they actually can be turned into great products that actually uh, solve a real pain point value proposition. I think. Uh, to, to be tough on augmented reality for a second, or virtual reality, uh, that is a category that has amazing, fascinating innovations, but in some cases has yet to find a broad scale value proposition. Uh, and then I think there are companies that have are great value propositions, but may or may not be great businesses uh, for different reasons. And I think it's important to look through that filter of, is it a great innovation, and therefore can it become a great product, and can that product actually truly become a great business? And those things are not the same thing, even though it's very easy to munch those together if you don't think about it in that framework.
0: Well, that actually leads to my second question. You know, what attributes have you been able to identify that successful companies tend to display? And, you know, you've been in in tons of great deals, AdMob, of course, Mopub and and so on. Excel has been a part of Facebook and, you know, a number of phenomenal uh, companies. Uh, again, what, what attributes, maybe just a couple, handful, you know, two or three that you've been able to identify over the years?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it it is um I think it comes down to one primary thing, which is a founder that has an authentic understanding of the problem they're trying to solve. They have to understand the space they're going after, and they have to understand the subtleties of what problem, not necessarily the solution, but they have to understand what are the real pain points and subtleties of that that the marketplace or their target value proposition feels. So when, I, when I think about Omar from AdMob, or Jim Payne and Afis from Mopup, which you know well, or you go to the other examples like Mike and Scott at Atlassian, or Stuart Butterfield at Slack, or Mark Zuckerberg, there are people that are product-led thinkers, are first and foremost. They don't have all the commercial or business skills at the time they found the company, but they really understand what problem they're trying to solve and who they're solving it for. And that, I think, gives you the ability to make the twists and turns and changes in your business over time um, as the environment changes. So again, the point being that a great startup will take a couple of years to really get to market and scale, maybe four to five years to really go multi-geography or potentially global. And almost in every two to five years, the economic environment changes, who the majors are change. And the overall environment changes to some substantive degree. So if you don't really have an authentic understanding of the problem, you don't really have a true north, as it were, to know how to navigate your company. Um, And so so we seek people that have that understanding, uh, even if they may not have totally figured out the solution to the problem at the time they're kind of coming up for funding.
0: That's awesome. You know, I I talk a lot about not doing a startup just to do a startup. And as a serial entrepreneur myself, who's been dreaming about building businesses since I was a a child, you know, sometimes you get sucked into wanting to build a business so bad and be a, a fully expressed entrepreneur that you end up you know, pursuing spaces or businesses that maybe you don't really understand enough about. So I love that you mentioned that. Speaking of spaces, are there any, and I know this is, uh, you know, sort of secret sauce over there, Excel, but uh, are there any spaces that you see picking up speed at the moment?
1: Yeah, no, Look, I, I don't know that this is fundamentally different from areas that you know, the rest of the Valley is looking at, but, you know, um, there are these obvious secular trends that are happening. They shift to the cloud from the data centers and they shift to mobile. And you know, we think every layer of the stack, everything from user experience tools at the very top to the consumer facing applications themselves to the underlying picks and shovels to support the building of those, all of that's going to change. Uh, so, uh, uh, to line out a few areas, though, that we're specifically spending time on uh, obviously, with the shift of all the data going to the cloud and these mobile devices. The entire security perimeter, or even the idea that there is a perimeter, is changing dramatically. So there's a ton going on in the security market. Um, the picks and shovels of what is required to successfully build all types of products is evolving at a really, really rapid rate, and we, we tend to call that trend the API economy or the APX economy, and so it's investing in the set of technologies that actually supports the quicker building of other products. And so uh, Braintree uh, and Stripe are two examples of companies in that category in payments. Uh, we're investors in a company called Segment.io in the marketing analytics space. Uh, we're investing in a company called Checker, which has become sort of the dominant API or the, uh, for trust and identity and background checks on the Internet. So there's companies like that that we think are really, really interesting building blocks. Um, all things mobile. Uh, no surprise, you know, from the world that you and I come with, I, I think, uh, we think here at Excel that innovation is nowhere close to done on that. So there are, as you might know, interesting projects starting to spool up around mobile video. There's interesting projects around how to make the infrastructure work successfully with the much, much heavier loads. And of course we're going to be next generation consumer services that will show up, you know, now that, you know, now that mobile, mobile video is truly, truly ubiquitous.
0: Well, Rich, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're probably one of the busiest folks I've, I've ever met. So the, the, the fact that you spend time with us today is uh, super humbling. If anyone wanted to submit a, a business plan or a deck or, or, or something to Excel to review, what would be the best channel to do that?
1: Uh, feel free to hit me up. Uh, you know, uh, my email is rpw at excel.com, A-C-C-E-L.com, or you can hit me on Twitter at, uh, at
0: rwalk. Awesome. Rich, have a wonderful day, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you shortly. George, great to be with you. Thanks, man. Have a great one.